What if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. Welcome back. Today's guest shares his midlife crisis with us. At age 45, Thomas Thompson realized he had more life behind him than in front of him. So he wanted to hit 50 hard. He committed to be in the best mental and physical health of his life and decided that he wanted to redefine his career. But this was not an easy task. Thomas had been working in the same industry since he was 18 years old. In his words, I'm good at this, I'm confident in this, but I don't want to do this anymore. But what else is there for me to do? So how do you redefine your career when your resume and your experience are built to do one thing? For Thomas, it looked like a five-year regrowth period. During that time, he self-assessed, self-doubted, and ultimately self-actualized. He identified the things he enjoyed and wanted to hold on to from his previous career and those things that he wanted to let go of. This led to the realization that he has a unique skill that he now leverages as a leadership coach for a company called Lead Self, Lead Others. Today, Thomas supports his clients by helping them realize and share their unique gifts with the world around them. This episode is stacked with wisdom and insight. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Thomas Thompson. How are you, sir? I'm great. Good morning. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you. So I was going through your Lead Self, Lead Others website here, and there are a lot of parallels to the work that I find myself in. Uh, without getting too into the details of the work that you're, you are, tell us a little bit about your consulting, your coaching business, and then how, like, how'd you find yourself into this world? Yeah. So I, I work with a company called Lead Self, Lead Others, and the whole premise behind the company is in the name that... We are not going to be the best and most effective leaders of others if we are not effectively leading ourselves. And so that be, that's true of anyone. And I, I consider everyone a leader uh, because we all have something that we're stewarding, something that we're leading. And so we we focus on individuals and help them lead themselves at the highest potential they can. So I've been doing that for about a couple of years. I'm 50 years old. And how I got into it is is kind of crazy. When I turned 45... I started realizing that I had more miles in my rearview mirror than I did in my windshield ahead of me. It's just kind of a sobering thought. You start looking ahead, and, and I, I find that I talk with a lot of people that get into their 40s, and they, they either consider that or they don't consider that. And if they don't consider that, they're setting themselves up for maybe a midlife crisis. But if they do consider that, they can really set themselves up for a midlife transition. And so that's kind of what I started doing at age 45. I was thinking about how do I really want to steward the, the, the remaining portion of what God's put in my lap? What do you mean when you say lead self? What does that look like tangibly? Like how do you lead yourself? Yeah. You think about some of the things in your life, like the relationships and the habits uh, your finances, your time, your focus. Uh, we, we have all these choices we can make about how we are going to pay attention to the way that we're living. And we can, we can either lean into those and, and lead ourselves better, 
or we cannot, and we just let the world around us kind of shape and mold us. So it's a, the difference between being intentional and not. I know we talked about that a few weeks ago when we had coffee about intentionality. Yeah. So really, it's just leading yourself is just being intentional with the things that you choose to spend time doing. Is, it, is that accurate? Yeah, I think so, Travis. I, I don't know if you, you talk with a lot of people like this, but I find that a lot of people have intentions. You know, they want to be successful or they want to be a better husband or they want to start something new uh, or they want to break an old habit, but they're not always intentional. And so I think the difference between intention and intentional is having a strategy, having some disciplines and systems that you build in your life and really stewarding your focus. So it's the action plan around the intention is that that makes the difference. Yeah, I think so. I, I think a lot of people I, I know for a lot in my life personally. There's a lot of times I've had tons of intentions, but I didn't build a plan around it. Yeah. How can you, how can you start to notice those things in your life where you're maybe not being intentional enough? Uh, what's the first step to identifying those? It's a great question. I, I, I think you, you start to look at areas of your life. It's, it's kind of like, a, a, imagine like a wheel, like a wagon wheel. And each one, and you start putting areas of in your life around that wagon wheel. So I put my finances, I put my heart, I put my emotions, I put my relationships, I put my family, I put my career. Uh, and, and imagine on that wagon wheel that you, you have kind of the hub is a zero and the end of the wagon wheel is the 10. And you start to kind of, maybe if you are drawing this out, you might just begin to look at those areas and say, where, where am I a four? Where am I a six? Uh, where am I a nine? And if, if you were to sketch that out, you know, if, if all of your wheel was a 10, then you'd be kind of rolling right along. But often there's a few key areas in our lives where we might be at a four or a three or a two, just as we begin to evaluate that. And that leads to kind of a bumpy ride. Yeah, I, I really love that using that. That's the wheel of life, right? Is yeah. that's the name of that coaching tool? Yeah, yeah. I, I love that as a foundation because I, I don't think we give ourselves enough being intentional to focus on, you know what, I'm unsatisfied with this area of my life. So once we identify that, what is our our tool or the process of figuring out what needs to change or what we need to adapt in order to bring that four to a seven even? Yeah, Brandon, I, I really think that conversation is a key part of that. I, I think that learning to lead ourselves doesn't mean that we learn to lead ourselves by ourselves. I think we seek out people who are good conversationalists, who are, are being successful in those areas in their lives, and we learn from them. We seek them out. Um, if, if I was wanting to start something new, I would want to find somebody who's doing it, and I would want to say, let me sit down and learn from you. Let me talk with you and get some guidance on that. Yeah, that external feedback is, is super important for the yeah. Just get another perspective on the lens, you know, another lens on on what you're doing in your life uh, can be super helpful sometimes. What uh, part of this though is just being honest with ourselves. If, if you're not honest with yourself, you're not going to rate anything a four. How how you know like yeah, I'm great. Every everything's a a ten. We're we're rolling yeah. along, but like beneath <laughs> the surface, we all know that's not true. How, right. how can we begin to be honest with ourselves to even have that, that authentic self-assessment? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're all doing great. Um, I, I, <laughs> I think it's being honest with God. 
I, I think it's being open to, to him. I think it's being honest with uh, the people that are in your life and, and starting to ask questions. Um, I was just talking to someone this week about uh, the term the imposter syndrome. You guys familiar with that? Amen. Yeah, and it's it's this it's this sense that um, I'm a fraud. Like I, I'm really not talented. I'm really not capable. Everyone's going to see through it at some point. Um, and I, I was actually reading an article today in Time Magazine that 70% of people they estimate wrestle with that in their life. And I would imagine that people that are stepping into something new uh, really struggle with that. And I know I have. And it's that sense that I don't want everyone to find out that I don't know what I'm doing. But the reality is we, we kind of do know what we're doing a little bit more. If we'll trust some of the, the ways that God's wired us and the experiences and, and lessons that we've learned in life, we can lean on these things. Yeah, that's man, there's so much to unpack there because I, I, I love what you're saying there and leaning into it and trying to identify these things that, that we need to change or modify to find that, you know, move those numbers on that scale, that will of life. Let's, let's put this kind of into a, a practical practice then. So if, if I'm finding that, and I'll use this podcast as an example, uh, one of the things that Travis and I had a conversation of is this has to stay fun because if this becomes another task for us to do, we're going to lose track of it and we're not going to want to do it and it's going to fall apart. So part of that conversation is what is what is Travis good at and what do you enjoy? And he loves the technical piece of this, breaking down the audio, the video. I does like that is why I hadn't started a podcast at this point in my life because I absolutely hate that type of work. So us playing on each other has really supported this taking off and allowed us to do things that we wouldn't have done in a silo. So if you're not aware of those things though, how do you start to find support for those specific pieces that you might be missing? Or how do you identify those specific pieces that you're good at and your gaps to kind of help fill that, that mentorship piece that you were talking about around you? Yeah, I, I would, I would say even to go a step further, you know, we, I said, if you want to lead others well, you have to lead yourself well. I think to lead yourself well, you need to know yourself. You need to know things about you. You need to know how you're wired. You need to know what you've learned in life. Um, we did a survey with our company a while back and kind of identified that people said there were five areas that they struggled to lead themselves in. They were their habits, their health, their time, their relationships, and their finances. So I would just start like those five and say, you know, how are you doing in these areas? You know, these are these are things to pay attention to. Those would be some of the spokes on that wheel that we talked about. But to your point, I, I I think it I think it helps to have somebody that can sit down with you and guide you through those those two areas. I'll just pick two of them right now. Um, how you're wired and how God's invested in you over the last 30, 40, 50 years. And if we don't pay attention to those kinds of things, uh, we don't get that that opportunity to really look inside. And so when I turned 45, I saw 50 coming at me and I decided I really wanted to hit 50 hard. I wanted to be at my best health. I want to be at my best emotional state, my, my best career state. I didn't know what I was going to be doing at 50. I just wanted to hit it hard. And so I just did, uh, Brandon, and started doing some self-investing. I, I uh, went to some counseling that was helpful for me. I started to explore some career paths, just testing some things out. Um, I got a chance, though, to have a very gracious gift by the church that I was leading, and that was a three-month sabbatical. And that was an opportunity to come from 80 miles an hour to, to a full stop. And that's really hard. I, I, it was harder than I thought it was going to be. 
Um, but it was during that season of stop that I got a chance to kind of really reflect and ask some of those questions. And so I think having, I think it's part of why we have a kind of a weekly Sabbath time to, to take a, take a day off and break, uh, just to get a chance to reflect on where we've been and to proflect kind of on where we're going. So it's really, I think those times of reflection and asking those questions that are important. And if, if you can't ask those questions of yourself, uh, then you find people around you or resources that can help you do it. I think a, another important part of this assessment is being honest about your strengths. I know w- when I started this brewery, um, I thought I knew my strengths <laughs> and I was wrong. You know, I, I, I was good at some things that I didn't know I was good at. And I, I turned out I was not as good at some things that I thought I was, I was good at. So it's just as important to be able to identify your strengths as it is your weaknesses. Uh, and that's kind of where the imposter syndrome comes in. How, how can we do that? How, how can we, have you ever looked at it from that lens of identifying strengths and really leaning into those? Yeah. Yeah. We, so we actually use an assessment tool with my company called the Berkman assessment. And it, it's pretty interesting. It, it, it works with a lot of different facets of our personality and wiring, but one of the things that it addresses is is our strengths and uh, what are those things that we do that when we do them that we gain energy from them we gain life they come natural to us and then what are those things that we may be good at but they drain us because we can all over time we can get good at things we don't want to do or that we don't that that are draining to us uh, i was working with a guy who is an engineer and he loves being with people he loves being with people. He 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 is is his strength is interpersonal relationships. Yet he's stuck behind a computer, uh, doing whatever engineers do all day. <laughs> and and so here's a, here's an awareness of uh, as we work together, finding out this is really your strength, but you're not playing to it. And no wonder he's miserable. And so he's actually exploring some career options that might get him out from behind that computer and dealing more with people. So you just have to you have to identify this. Yeah. I had a, a similar experience to that when I was looking at what to do to get out of construction. I was a good electrician, but I did not like it. And I, at that point, I just hadn't identified what do I like. Like, I know a lot of the things I'm good at. I'm good at construction. I'm good at building things. And I'm good at, you know, I understand electrical systems. It does not excite me. I got to get out of this. There's something. And so we talk a lot about the intersection of what you're good at and what you love and trying to find that. And really, that's the sweet spot. Yeah. And- I kind of there's a there's a parable that Jesus talked about that I that I think really drives me and it was in in the book of Matthew chapter 25 and he talks about a master of a house who goes on a long journey and while he's gone he's entrusted to these three servants uh, what what he calls talents I would say those responsibilities gifts whatever Uh, to one he gave five to one he gave three to one he gave one and he said when I come back I want to see what you did with those. And I think it's interesting that he gave them different amounts because I think it speaks to the unique creation that each one of us are and the unique talents and potentials that we each have. So uh, we we have different strengths and different abilities. Um, and these three guys, you know, when the master came back, one had doubled his and another had doubled his. And then one had not done anything with it because he said, he went and actually went and buried it. And the reason he buried it, he said, I was afraid. I was afraid. And I, I wonder if we're not sometimes afraid to really ask the questions about what am I good at? What am I put here to do? What would be worth me pouring my life into? 
and what are the strengths I have that will help with that? Why do you think that's a natural fear? It seems like that's something that people would want to be immersed in is the thing they're good at. But you're right. It is a fear. Do you think it's a fear of if I find out what I'm good at and I'm not doing that, like I, that it feels like I'm failing or what, what do you think that is? Where, where does that fear come from? Uh, I can speak for me. I mean, when I turned, when I turned 45 and I started thinking about, I, I started realizing uh, I, I was working at a church. I was, I was the pastor there. I was preaching and, you know, counseling, all this kind of stuff. And every, everything seemed to be going great. Like I, there wasn't a big issue or problem. And so it, uh, to kind of use the, the, Malcolm Gladwell thing, I had my 10,000 hours in. And so I was, I was good at some things, but I was starting to realize, I, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. Like the getting up and preaching a sermon just wasn't fun anymore for me. Uh, I was starting to ch- shift there. Um, and so, but then I, here's where the fear came in. What else can I do? <laughs> uh, my resume says I'm only qualified to do one thing and I'm already doing it. And so there's, I think part of the fear is, is wondering, how would I live? Um, would I be able to start something new? Uh, maybe I'll just stay where I am. And so if you imagine that third servant who buried the, the talent, his life just, it's like his life just plateaued. You know, it, it didn't, I guess like, he just kind of settled. I guess this is as good as it's ever going to be. It's this one talent I got hit in the backyard, but at least I'm not wasting it. At least I'm not losing it. Right. So it's kind of this, it, it, it's not like he went out and risked it and lost it. That'd be a different story. Hey, I went and I invested it and I lost it all. Okay, well, at least you tried something. But it just seems to me that he was settling. And I think I think sometimes we settle because we're afraid. I really enjoy that parable because it's in a time pre-social media, obviously. But I think that, and we had a little bit of this conversation with, uh, with uh, you know, Yemi. Actually, we talked to Yemi yesterday. And uh, we talked about how social pressures also kind of impact that fear, right? Because we see other people on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever, posting the things that they're really good at and that they have going well for them. And we don't get to see that ugly stuff behind the scenes. So we're comparing maybe our weaknesses with the strengths that they're posing. Is that something that we can start to get out of through this self-discovery so that we're not letting these social influences impact and kind of hold us down or force us to, to bury our gifts in your, in your words? Yeah, that's a really good thought. Um, I, I think the thing with social media is it's like, it's everyone's highlight reel, you know? And uh, actually Travis said something to me the other day. This is so intriguing. I've shared this with several people, Travis, uh, that you said, um, a lot of people will look at you and go, wow, you know, you're a successful brewer and, and how amazing that must be. And what they didn't see is the years and years of hard work that you put in behind the scenes. It reminds me of a story I heard about a band that uh, kind of exploded in the scene. They had like the record of the year and everything kind of uh, started falling for them. And it was published in all these recording magazines. And this guy had done an interview with them and they said, hey, what does it feel like to be an overnight sensation? And he said, well... It's taken me about 10 years to become an overnight sensation. And so there, there's a lot of behind the scenes. I think that people just don't, don't recognize how hard it is. That was uh, Zach, Zach Brown band. Zach Brown band. That's right. Yep. Yeah, no, that that's so true. It's, it's like, I, like I say, people in my story, people saw a grand opening, but they didn't see me working a full-time job as a construction worker and then a full-time job building out a brewery. 
they don't see construction for eight months with a three-day-old baby. You know, they, that, that's the kind of stuff that people don't see. And I, I think that's the problem with, we were talking with Yemi last night about just normalizing failure and normalizing all, you, you know, the hard stuff. And I, there's something in there where people only see the successes. And so they, I, I think we naturally just think we don't have what it takes because we didn't see all the stuff that it took to get there. So it seems impossible. Yeah. And then, so when I transitioned into this career, um, I had uh, a couple pieces of great advice. And one was a realtor in town who just told me, he said, you know, an airplane will use 80% of its fuel just getting up to cruising altitude. And then it's just kind of the 20% there. And he said, your first 18 to 22 months in this thing is going to be you trying to get up to cruising altitude. And I, I really have taken that to heart. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be gentle with myself and not consider that this has failed in, in the, until 18 months have gone by. Now at 18 months, maybe that's when I would go, yeah, it's, it's not working, but, uh, because it is hard and, and you're trying to figure out what you're doing, especially when you start something new. And, uh, there was a, a another realtor I was talking to that said, you know, I, I went through all the classes. I got all the certifications. I got everything lined up legally. And, and now I'm officially a realtor day one. What am I supposed to do? Like, I know how to sell a home. I, I know what it takes technically to do it. But but what am I supposed to, how am I supposed to spend my time? And so I, I think there's a lot of times that people can, uh, we can look, look like you said, just see this, the grand opening and not understand that you had to go through a lot, I'm assuming, to figure out, okay, I know how to brew beer, but how do I, how do I do this? How do I run a brewery? Yeah. I mean, it took me 18 months to write a business plan I was happy with because I had no idea how to even write a financial performa. You know, it took me, it took me six months just to write my three-year financial plan. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing, you know, and then I get my business plan done and it's like, okay, now what? Like now I have a great plan. <laughs> I don't have any money. So <laughs> how do you find money? You know? And so it, it took half a dozen failed bank applications to realize maybe banks aren't the answer. And so then we started looking at, okay, what, what other options are there for funding out there? And we ended up finding some funding from uh, a family member and uh, he just believed in us and wanted to see me be successful. And, but, but, you know, but that took just that process took almost two years. Travis, what kept you going through that process? Uh, it, it was, the fear of not doing it, honestly, is what got me to where I am today. Uh, I, I got a lot of questions from people that, uh, again, another facade, the construction industry is stable. <laughs> Why would you leave a stable industry, a stable job, a stable paycheck to go do something so crazy and risky? And my answer every time was, if I don't do this and I'm 65 and I'm still doing electrical, I have to look back on my life then and say, what if I'd tried something else? What could have happened? So asking what if, and I know we talked about this, Thomas, too. What, how do you ask what if? If you're asking it with fear, you're going to find all the problems. If you're asking it with potential in mind, you're going to find all the solutions and all the, the dreams. And that's where the, that's where the motivation came from for me is like this could be way bigger than the downside of it failing. If it fails, I go back to being an electrician. If it doesn't fail, I get to be happy with my job and with what I'm putting my time and energy into. So for me, I kind of almost flip-flopped the fear of that and said, 
like my bigger fear is not finding out if I can do it or not. So that's what kept me going. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that, that you can ask what if with fear or you can ask what if with potential. And, and I would just relate that back to that story of those three servants that I think that third one, he, he was asking what if. And he asked what if with fear. And he, he even said, I was afraid because I knew you, God. I was afraid that the master would come back and, and punish him or something. And so he asked what if with fear and it just led him to, to stagnation. Whereas the other two guys asked what if, and there had to be risk involved with whatever they did to double their fortunes, you know, to double the talents they had. So they, that's a great connection there for those guys. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly that story is if, if you're the guy who buries your talent and doesn't do anything with it, it will never go anywhere. Hmm. You know, you, you might lose it, but you, <laughs> my thought was I can always find another business venture. I can always do something else. I can always, but if I, if I don't ever do any of them, I can't go back and say, well, now I can, you know, right now I'm, yeah. I'm 35, 36 years old. I have time to try things. You know, when I'm, when I'm 70, I'm not going to have time to try things anymore. And if I do the same thing out of fear for 40, 50 years, then I'll never know. And I, I don't think that's where I don't think that's how we were created. I think we were created to, I mean, we all were created uniquely to do something in this world. And if we're not doing that thing, then we're doing the world a disservice. Thomas, what was the discovery? What was the discovery of that for you? Like, did you, at, at a young age, did you decide you were going to lead a congregation and then just at the age of 45 that changed? Or did was there a whole growth and stepping stones to discovering those moments for you that led you to that? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I've wrestled some with that question, Brandon, uh, even in my own life about, um, you know, when I was 18, I was I was at a church. I was uh, kind of leading in the youth group and had a bunch of youth leaders saying, you should be a pastor. And I was like, OK. Uh, and then I went to college and started working in a church and never stopped. I just kind of I just kind of kept doing it. And I, I don't look back like I wasted my life or anything. I, I think it was valuable. I love that God gave me that part to do. Um, so I don't look at it in terms of I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Um, but I, I look at it in terms of kind of this, this Moses moment where um, here's Moses doing what he's been doing for a long time. He's, he's gotten pretty good at just standing around in a field with a bunch of animals. And got, all of a sudden he sees this burning bush where God comes to him and says, what if we did something new? What if we did something that is going to draw upon your life and your experiences, but also is going to require great risk and, and new trust in me. And, and that's, that moment became more powerful to me, just realizing I could do something new. That, so uh, it was exploring the, I don't look at it as in, I, I wasted 20 years not doing what I was supposed to do. I look at it as God saying, Hey, you ran that lap. Here's the new lap. Let's do something different. Uh, and that, that's the, I think that's where the fear thing though is, is because uh, you, you get to a certain point in life where you're, you get good at something and it's easier to stay in that, in that thing than to take a step out and do something you've not done before. Yeah. We, we see that a lot. You know, we have our, our life growing up, like my stepdad worked in the same industry for, he's still in the same industry and, and he's finally getting to a place where he's able to retire and get out of it. And it's amazing. Like we've had the conversations of, he didn't really ever enjoy his work, but he did it because of the responsibility and that was at a young age, Travis and I both at the age of like 10 or 12 decided that that was not going to be for us, not because we're not grateful for the things that our parents then provided to us, but we've seen kind of 
the hardship from that angle. And we just decided like Travis saying, if it fails, it fails. I can always go back to these other things, but let's at least try it. Let's at least try to lean on our experiences to grow something new or to build something new. You know, and I had two grandfathers that both, uh, you know, served in the military, got out and then spent 40 years with the same company. I mean, each with their own same company. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's honorable. Um, I think the thing I always push people on is just, are you taking that time to ask the question, is, is there something out there for me that's different? It, does God have something different for me? It's, it's almost like a, a Moses who walks by and doesn't even, he shields his face and doesn't even look at that burning bush. He doesn't want to even enter in that conversation. But he, but he does and discovers that, yeah, there was something there. Yeah, no, that's a good point where I, I think the problem comes when we, you know, like you said, you did, you were a pastor for 20 years and that, that wasn't a waste for you, but you were aware that when it was time to move on, you were willing to move on. And I think we get in trouble when we have that feeling or, you know, God's talking to us and saying, hey, it's time for the next thing. And we just say, no, I'm comfortable. I'm good. You know, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. And that's when that's, I think that's the point when we begin to waste time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's stagnation. When, when we're not living up to the potential that we have, that's been given to us, it's different and unique to all of us. If we're not doing that thing we've been put here in the world to do, Travis, like you said, we're, we're, we're missing out and we're stagnating. And that, I think that's where I was, Brandon, go back to your thing, the personal thing for me. I, I was starting to realize I can keep doing what I'm doing and it's not wrong and it could be good and help people. But internally, it was an internal pressure of, of urgency. So I, uh, sometimes I talk about where you feel the, the pressure to change or transition. External pressure is kind of easy sometimes to see. It's when your boss is saying, you know, you should think about a different job. Uh, internal pressure, though, is when you go, I, I'm competent at this. I'm good at this but I don't know that I want to do this. But I think where a lot of people get stuck at that point is they, again, they fall back to, but what else? What else am I going to do? Yeah. Can we actually pick that apart a little bit? Because you have this bolt of lightning insight, your burning bush moment of I'm 45. There's less road ahead of me than behind me. I want to re-wicker my skills and this 20 years of experience that I have. You didn't just walk out like the realtor example and hang up a shingle and all of a sudden have a bunch of coaching and consulting clients, right? Like right. there's, there's growth of putting yourself in the right place and trying to figure out mentally, physically, your business, you've got to put all those things in those strategies in place. So what did that look like those first few days of making that decision? Yeah. And it, it kind of go back to the Zach Brown overnight success. I mean, it, it was a, it was a pretty much a, a five year journey of exploring some things. Mm -hmm. it, it took a while. It, it took a while for me to, so I had started having some of those conversations with my wife and then with our elders and with leaders and, and figure out what it was going to look like. But um, the analogy I like to use there is uh, imagine a sailboat that's trying to get to a destination. And we, we think that uh, sometimes in life when we're trying to get to where we need to go, that we just go straight there. It's just like, we, we, we figured out, we wait for God to tell us where to go and then we go there. Um, but really, the sailboat, it, you know, it, it does something unusual. It does something different. It tacks, right? So it, it will take a, a, a direction that's not even towards that point, and it'll start going there as long as it's catching that wind. And when it doesn't catch the wind anymore, it may turn and tack back. And if you were looking from above, 
you might even say, wait, you're going the wrong way. You're not going to where you're supposed to go. But it, it kind of has to kind of tack back and forth and, and catch that wind until it arrives at its destination. And so that's kind of what it was like for me starting to do what I call um, exploratory moves. And these are moves that are not jumping out of the airplane, but they are moves where you're beginning to explore what would it look like for me to do something different. So I, I for example, I had a, an opportunity through a connection to, to do a little teaching at Denver Seminary um, and to teach a group there. And so I was kind of tacking towards maybe maybe that's the next step for me. Maybe just step into some kind of teaching environment in a seminary. And I, I figured out during that time, there are some, what I love doing is the sitting down across the table from the student, having the conversation and helping them work on their thing. What I didn't want to do, though, was the academic stuff. I, I, there's a high level of that. And so I tapped towards that. And even though it ended up not being a direction that I was going to go in, I did, I was moving forward. So I was discovering, I was, I was shaping this thing of what I wanted to do. And so uh, I encourage people to, to, to begin to explore kind of God's will, maybe in a sense like that, or, or their sense of purpose, whatever it is like that, that they are, they are tacking towards something and asking questions like, hey, is the, is the wind in my sails when I do this? Uh, is this the right way? Okay, I'm going to now explore going over here. And, and I think what happens is that tacking gets tighter and tighter until you really arrive at the place where you're trying to go. Can you elaborate a little bit on that internal sense of urgency? Is that something that you think we all have control over? And if so, how do we tap into that? I think it's easy to be externally motivated, but how, how do you, especially when it gets hard, how do you keep that internal motivation or that internal urgency? I think urgency is a great word. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think a lot of it's due to people's wiring. Uh, my wife is wired with a high urgent level of performance and she is a go-getter, hard worker, harder than me. Um, in fact, it's, it's been a little bit of a challenge for me to do something new because the way I'm wired is I like the status quo. I like things to be healthy and stable and, and to step out in something new required a huge amount of, of challenge for me. Whereas for her, she, she just say, let's go do it. And she'd jump out, you know? So I, I think sometimes it's a wiring thing, but I, I do think you can, you can move your, you can lead yourself towards really understanding what urgency is. Uh, when, when you first of all get a sense of purpose, you begin to understand yourself. What am I really supposed to do here? Um, I think secondly, it, it connects to God. And when you understand that that stewardship parable is a parable of life and there is a God who's put something in some talents in our life. And there's a time when he's going to say, Hey, what did you do with what I gave you? And so it becomes a responsibility thing to steward our potential. But I, I think something that also happens, Travis, that I see ton is um, kind of a stage of life at midlife time that I'm talking about. Um, there's a parable or a story that Dallas Willard tells about being at a racetrack in Florida, watching dogs chase that rabbit, you know, the old big old gray lean dogs and they would chase this electric rabbit around and around the track well one day the electric rabbit broke and the dogs caught it and they didn't know what to do they were confused they were biting at it they were sniffing at it they were yapping at each other it's like they had caught this thing they were chasing all their life and now they didn't know what to do with it and dallas willard just makes the point that that's what happens to a lot of people they've been chasing something in life and they finally attain it maybe it's 
a certain position in a company, or maybe it's a, a home with two kids, or it's a certain status or financial goal, and they realized this didn't fulfill me. This, this wasn't the rabbit. And so the kind of thought there is you want to chase a rabbit that's not going to break down. And I think that's when you are chasing a rabbit that's not going to break down, that is where you get a sense of urgency. So it comes comes kind of full circle back to that honest assessment of yourself first. Yeah. What what am I wired to do? And so what what do I want to do? And and that's another part of it too. I I I don't I think we have this strong sense. Like I I was talking to a guy uh, the other day. He said I've had a 25 year dream to open a restaurant. And I said, so so what's holding you back to open the restaurant? Well, I'm waiting to I'm waiting on God to tell me what to do. There's nothing wrong with waiting on God to, to get some kind of sign or something. But my question to him was, um, what do you think's been driving that 25 year dream? In <laughs> exactly. Like, really figure that out. And and I mean, could it be that that's one of the ways that God's trying to speak to you is through right. your own wants and desires? And I think we sometimes don't pay attention to those. But that's a part of the assessment too. Is what do you what do you dream about? What do you want to do? What do you want to try? Yeah, I, I think you're hitting on something huge here. I'd like to to pick apart a little bit more because we we live in a society, and Travis and I talk about this all the time, is and that was part of the goal of this podcast is don't have a decided outcome that you have to reach to do this. What do you what do you want to enjoy about it? What are the things that this needs to fill in your life? And it really just came down to we want to have a good time with it. We want to meet amazing people and then let it become what it wants to become. And if it's successful, great. If it's not, whatever, we had a good time with it. But when you're talking about people in their careers, especially, they have such a self-identity around that. How do we remove this? I've got to achieve and accomplish these end outcomes versus having this purpose-driven life that isn't relying on those outcomes being exactly how you see them, That where does that break down for us? And how do we connect with that piece that you're talking about that's that internal compass of, I know I want to start a restaurant, and how do we actually start to listen to that? That's really good. I it, it Some of it, I think, does connect to the stage of life that you're in. I've really been a fan of the thoughts about stages of life and how there are questions that that you're not asking at 20 that you start asking at 40, right? And beginning to, to, to do that. And some of it is, is getting mileage under you, you know? And, and that's why when I work with people who are trying to do career transition, we don't just use assessments that help them figure out their wiring, but we try to walk them through the, the decades of their life to identify what are some of the, what are some of the key things that you've learned? What are some of the, the power, uh, moments and messages of your life that have come from highlights and also from some of the heartbreaks. And like, for example, one way to get into that is uh, if I told both of you that in five minutes, I was going to ask you to go speak to a group of 30 people on any topic, uh, but you only have five minutes to prepare. What would you talk about? Well, you're going to fall back to the things that really are driven in you or the stories that have shaped you and molded you or the things that you've been experienced in. You're going to go to those things. So sometimes I, I, you know, I think when, when I was 20, I was just trying to figure out who I was. I was just trying to figure out uh, if I could get paid for life. You know, what could I work at? What could I do? Uh, and so I think there's a just, it, it just takes a lot of time. I mean, uh, to, to really do the work of knowing yourself. 
and some of that is is just about the mileage under you. Do the work of knowing yourself. I love that. Okay, got to put in the work. Um, let's let's shift gears a little. I know part of what you coach on a lot, Thomas, is focus. What part does focus play in this picture that we've been talking about today? Yeah, um, I, I tell people this: if we're not intentional with our minds, we will end up giving our focus away to whatever demands its attention. So if we're not intentional with our minds, we'll end up giving our focus away to whatever demands our attention. So that means that part of leading ourselves is saying, wait, where am I going to put my mind? Where am I going to direct my thoughts, my energy and my time? I'm going to I'm going to direct those things. And so going back to the social media question for a minute, if I'm just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, I'm, I'm just being shaped by that. I'm not being intentional with how I'm feeding my mind. I was talking to someone who said, uh, you know, there's a saying out there that uh you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. He pushed it further and he said, you, you become the, the average of the five things that you most spend putting into your mind. That really kind of took me back a little bit there. So I, I try to help people think about who, when you're thinking about reaching your potential, who are the people and what are the activities that are most critical for your focus? Who are those people? And what are those activities? And so defining and shaping those and then saying, what is the strategy we're going to build into your life to help you stay focused on those things? To harness your focus is a way to kind of use it. Have you seen any strategy, any patterns in those strategies in your coaching? Um, it's a good word. Yeah, a lot of people. So we, we talk about um, who are the people and what are the activities, both in your personal and professional life? And almost to a T in the personal category, it's it's always spouse and kids. These are, they recognize these people are who I need to have uh, intentionality with. But again, it's it's intention. How do you how do you shift that to actually doing something? So, I'll, like for example, I, I'd ask a guy, you know, what? Okay, so you have your wife down here. There's somebody that's that's crucial for you to focus on. So, what is your focus with her? Um, I want to love her more. Okay, let's keep pushing into that. So I think a pattern is we don't we don't we don't get specific enough. What what does it look like to to love her more? Well, let's put some time to it. For the next thirty days, what would it look like to love her more? Um, hey, thirty days from now, if I were to ask your wife, how is how's your relationship with your husband? What would you want her to say? So it's just really a, a pattern I'm seeing is that we, we have that intention, but we don't really get specific and thought, start thinking about strategies. It's the the awareness of it, but not the action piece that really is is kind of holding people back a lot. Yeah, I, I think so. And sometimes, you know, when we talk about people's focus, it's it's not always just a doing more things. Like I, what, what I don't, so I actually coach like a 30-day focus coaching uh, cohort where we, we implement some practices that will help you build the discipline to, to begin learning how to direct your focus, right? And so part of that, I try to encourage the people, we're not creating a 30-day to-do list. We're not creating a list of things that you now have to add to your plates. These are things that you've already identified with God and with yourself that these are important to you. So what we're trying to do is just think through how, how do we maintain your focus on these things? Um, so it's not always activities. Sometimes it's intention. So, for example, um, on my focus list uh, that I'm working on right now, one of the things I'm really focused on with one of my sons is being positive and uncritical. 
And so I just have come to realize that I, I tend to really be hard on him for some reason. I tend to always, in his, I walk in his room, there's stuff all over the floor, and I, I immediately am critical. So one of the things that, that harnessing my focus looks like is every morning I am reminding myself that when I see my son, I'm positive and uncritical. And so what I'm doing, that doesn't have an action to it. But what I'm doing in the morning is I'm preloading into my mind what I want to think about and see when I first look at my son. And so that the first words out of my mouth, hopefully, are going to be something positive and uncritical. So it, it, that's an intention in my heart. And then I look for opportunities throughout the day to, to focus on that. And that's my focus for him over the next uh, 60 days. Yeah, I love that time frame piece. I've actually, after the year that we've had with COVID and everything, my my wife and I have had like some really struggles. She'd been laid off a handful of times. We've had some really close friends pass away. And and I, I've had to do some of those things where like for 90 days, every morning, I just wrote like a little letter to her on the mirror. And the intent was I knew I needed to be better in our relationship, right? And what I found though, is because of everything that's going on and how much I was having to give to my other things, Travis actually called me out on it. He goes, dude, you're burnout. He's like, you're filling everybody else up. So what is your your guidance or your process on, even though you've sent that intentionality, whenever you see your son's floor, you still want to be like, Hey, clean this up. And it probably takes some energy from you to stay in alignment with your intention. How do you control yourself in those, in those moments? And what are your, your mechanisms, I guess, to stay in alignment with that intention? That's good. I like the word mechanism. Um, well, first of all, I, I don't always, I don't always do it. Uh, I fail. I mean, I walk in his room and I, I just get overcome by the, ah, I told you to clean this room up. Um, I, I think there's some consistency though. Like in the, if I'm doing it every day, if every day I'm reviewing the question, what do I need to be focused on with my son? Uh, I'm getting that chance in the morning to at least preload a little bit. Uh, and the second thing I'm, I'm doing with that is I'm inviting God to partner with me and to lead me and give me help with that. So I'm not just trusting that I'm going to, through sheer willpower, be positive and uncritical. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, help me. You know, and I, I've, I've already, so having that kind of time in the morning to, to, to connect what I want to focus on, um, gives space for God to enter that moment with me. So that, I think that's really a, a powerful thing, but it's, it's also, uh, I would say connected to some consistency and some discipline. That's why we do, uh, what I do is a 30 days to focus because I'm trying, you know, if it, it was a 30 minutes to focus, um, there's no habit. There's no discipline built in. Which some of us even have a problem with 30 minutes to focus. So let's be real. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of results are you seeing after 30 days with people? You know, I, I, I see them beginning to build patterns in their life around just identifying what's important. And I, I've had a number of guys say, you know, just the fact that I sat down and, and actually spent time and wrote down who are the people and what are the activities that are important to me. That was enough. Even before I started really practicing it, just identifying that there, there are things that, that are, there are people that are more important for me to focus on. And I think going back to your thing, Brandon, the time piece, um, I had something you said, Travis, uh, you, you create urgency when you set time. So I think one of the things that creates urgency, for example, for people in their midlife is realizing I, I can see the time running out. You know, when you're 20, there's no urgency in that sense because you're going to live forever. But when you're 50, you go, I probably passed the halfway point at this point, right? 
And so when you say something like, like if my goal, for example, with my son was uh, just, hey, for the rest of his life, I want to be positive and critical. There's no urgency to that. But when I say for the next 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, that begins to shape some urgency around that. And so I, I think really those two things, identifying who and what are most important, um, well, three things, uh, developing a strategy of how you're going to focus on them and then creating some urgency around that. This is something I want to practice for 30 days uh, and or 60 days or whatever. And then I'm going to tear this thing up and I'm going to start over again going now for the next 30, 60, 90 days who and what are most important and most critical for me to, to harness my focus on. I love that practice too, because I, I think it comes back to, you're not setting a clear outcome that like you need to have this specific relationship with your son. You're, you're really just kind of banking on the fact that it, if I show up better in this relationship, less critical, more understanding, more empathy, I'm going to throw that out there. You didn't say that, but like coming from that place, the relationship will take care of itself. Is that a practice that we should be putting in other places of our life? Because again, we have a tendency to really hang our hats on outcomes of success and failure. Yeah, I you know i I've, I've never I've never really been a goal person. Now my wife is; she writes goals down and she puts them on uh, a, a vision board, and then they happen. <laughs> I'm always like, "How did that happen?" Uh, I've never really been a goal and outcome based person, uh, but. I, I think what I've, what I've learned about myself is I need to focus my value on the actions, not the outcome. And the outcome will come. So it, it, I'm going to, I'm going to focus my value on going to the gym three times a week and doing these exercises. I'm going to attach my, that's what I'm going to attach myself to, not the, then I'm going to look this way on the other side of it. Because I think when we attach ourselves to the actions, outcomes will come. That's how I'm wise. Some people might be, no, like my wife, she is really driven by setting some kind of financial goal or numerical goal. Uh, and that works for her. But for me, I have to set, I have to attach my value to what are the things I'm going to do? So I, I'm doing something right now that's, that's for 90 days. I, I tried to identify what's the most important thing I should be doing every day. And it's this one thing. And for 90 days, I'm, I'm trying to, to make sure I do that every day. So I'm attaching myself to doing the thing, even though I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, Simon Sinek talks about that, right? If you're doing the right things, money isn't the goal, it's the result. If you're doing the right things effectively, the money will be there. But if you're chasing money, you're going to just be chasing money all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing I'm actually doing is I've identified that that the, the, there's this concept called chasing the antelope, which we can unpack, but it's it's basically figuring out what the most important thing you should be doing. And for me, what I realize that is, is I I need to create serving conversations and so every uh, conversations where i can sit down with somebody and serve them whether that goes somewhere or not whether it turns into some kind of business opportunity or not i just want to serve people and so uh, the thing i'm doing for 90 days is every day i'm getting up and i, I have a goal to reach out to 10 people to try to create serving conversations and so i'm attaching the value to the fact that today i reached out to 10 people not that something came of it I love that. And I love the, uh, the example of your wife too, because it goes back to the conversation we had about knowing yourself, like what drives you to do the things that you know you want to do or should be doing. And, and that's, that's the whole point of this, right? Is it's not the same for everybody. Everybody's got unique skills, unique motivational needs to talk in the Berkman language. I actually, I love the Berkman. Uh, we use it at the state of Colorado when I work there. Um, it, it's just really good insight to figure out 
where do I need to be giving my energy, focusing my energy? And even the other half of this, and I think we should have some of this conversation is how do you know what to cut out? Like what's draining you and what's appropriate? Like I'm finding myself in this phase of my life right now where my peer groups from college are kind of all at different places in our life. And those relationships are really important to me, but a lot of them take a ton of energy from me to pour into them just because we're in different phases in our life. So how does somebody go about protecting themselves from, from those things and understanding what to cut out versus what to just distance from for a while? Yeah, that's, that is really critical. And I'll just, I'll throw it from this point. Um, it becomes more and more important, the older that you get, that you know what to say no to. You, you want to say no to good things. So you're saying yes to the great things and the best things, right? And what happens is you get older, more and more opportunities because you're skilled and you have more things on your plate and more people recognize what you do, that more and more people will come to you and say, hey, will you do this? Will you do this? And if you're saying yes to good things, then you really you're 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 saying no to some of the great things out there. So I, how do you identify what to say no to um, that? I, I think it's like sitting down and saying, who are the people? And what are the activities that are important for me to focus on? So if I put on my list that my wife, my four kids, and this other person are these, these people, it helps me to say no later because I know what I'm saying yes to. So like I, I'll set, I'll set appointments on my calendar for things I'm activities or things I'm going to do that I've blocked out and I've said are important. Um, and so it's easier when you call me and say, Hey, can I meet with you at nine o'clock? I'm sorry. I've already got something I've set. You know, I've already said yes to something. Even if that's a personal something that you're doing just for your health. Yeah. And you have to, I mean, I, I think there are activities and things that we have to treat almost like appointments with people. Like if I was supposed to meet you at, for lunch at 1130, Travis, and I, I wouldn't show up late, right? I would be there. I, I would I would honor that appointment. Well, I've got to honor the appointments with the activities I've, I've decided are important in my life. So for the 90 days, if I'm doing this thing every day for 30 minutes, I got to honor that appointment just like I would showing up for lunch with you. I think that's such a great practical practice is put it on the calendar. Like nobody else yeah. has to know what my calendar says, but I know that time is blocked off for something important, even if it's for me to sit down and read a book for an hour. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's interesting. I'd be, I'd be interested in your take on this as someone who stepped in from uh, – a, a certain position into more of an entrepreneur role, um, it, it sometimes can be confusing to know what what should be on the calendar. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm six, seven years into this and I'm still struggling with, you know, what should I be doing today? But, and I think on the opposite, well, not even really on the opposite side, a lot of the things on my plate are important. So I have to prioritize even the important things in order of most important and, you know, second tier most important and also of effectiveness. What's, what, what can I do today that's going to be the most effective? Uh, and sometimes you just have to pick up the urgent things and do the urgent things, even if they're not the important things. But um, just trying to keep the important things on the forefront of, of my mind and my schedule is kind of how I approach it. What, what's, just like you said, Thomas, what's the most important thing I should be doing today? Um, that changes for me often day to day. Sure. But it's just, I think it's just that constant assessment of like a lot is required of me. And there are a lot of people who depend on me balancing that urgent versus important 
and just making sure that my time is being used effectively. That's really intriguing because sometimes it's sometimes it's something over 90 days or 33 and 65 days or three days. Sometimes, like you're saying, it could be daily. It could just be as simple as the question, what's the one thing that's most important today? And I even used to reframe it as when I go to bed tonight, what would be the one thing that was imperative that I did? Like if, if I only did that one thing and I didn't do anything else all day, I will consider this day a success. There's a concept behind that called uh, chasing the antelope that I referred to earlier. And the, the thought is real simple that uh, a lion can spend all day spending all her energy chasing field mice and catching them and eating them. But the field mice don't have enough caloric content to, to keep that lion alive. She's going to slowly starve to death. But if she would take that same energy and she would chase an antelope, which might require a little more effort, but she catches that antelope, she's going to feast on that for days. And so kind of that thought every every day is, what is this antelope? What is this thing today that's most important for me to be chasing? And sometimes it may be a few things, but it is all too easy in my life, I know, for me to, to spend a very busy day where I did a lot of stuff, sent a lot of emails, all this stuff. But I realized at the end of the day, that was just a lot of field mice. And it was keeping me from my potential. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes that changes without us being in control of it. Like the other day, it got to negative 12 degrees here. And, you know, I, I'm working, the important thing I'm working on right now is, is working on where I want FH Beer Works to go in 2021. And we're, we're really creating this brand messaging of, we're calling it craft life. And the idea is just like, when you craft something, you do it intentionally, you do it with intention and skill. We do beer that way. Like we think through the recipe that we're making to make the product that we want at the end of it. We should be doing that with our lives too. So how are we crafting our life in the way that's going to make it what we want it to be? But so I, I, I work on that. That's a lot of what my time is right now, but I get a call last week that the, there's no water at the brewery. So I have to stop the important thing and go deal with the urgent thing, because if we don't have water, I can't have bathrooms. And if I don't have bathrooms, I can't have customers. So sometimes it just like, you can, those are the things you don't necessarily get to control uh, in the schedule. But I, I think the, the takeaway from that, though, is I had to be okay with putting down what was important to me and going and doing the thing that had to be done and not feeling like that day was wasted. Yeah, that's good. And you did exercise uh, control some, I mean, you, you, you controlled, you, you have stewardship or agency over your response, your attitude, the actions that you're going to take in that moment. I mean, you, you can't control what's out there, but there are, there's always something I think that we have, um, that we have agency over and that's, uh, that's our, our minds and our thoughts and our attitudes. I mean, that's something that, again, going back to you with God's help for me to do those things, but I can't control if my son is clean to the room, but I, I get to determine what's my response going to be to that. Yeah. Nope. That's good. Uh, well, well, Thomas, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, where can people find you? People want to reach out and, and learn more about the 30 day to focus or coaching what else you're doing. Where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, I, our website is uh, lead self lead others.com. And you can go there to, to see all that our company does, but there's a slash after that, which is my name, Thomas Thompson. If you want to go directly to where I am. Um, I, I deal mainly with people through uh, phone calls and email. So people can reach out to me at tthompson 
at leadselfleadothers.com. And I'm always up for a conversation just to explore where somebody is and where they're wanting to go and and kind of what 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 is that gap between where I am and, and I'm wondering if there's something else out there for me. Yeah, that's great. What is a do you have time for one more question? Yeah, yeah. What's the next uh, what's the next three years? Where do you want to be in three years? That is great. The next three years. There's a phrase that really motivated me, and it was a a phrase I discovered while I was in sabbatical in Ireland by an Irish uh, poet named John O'Donohue. And in this poem, there's just this phrase that leaps out. It says, to live the life that I would love. And I am doing that. I'm stepping into that now, and I'm seeing it start to happen for me. But I just continue to think, what is the life that I would love? And so I think of it not just in terms of what I want to be, what I want to do, but what do I want to be doing and who do I want to be doing it with? And so uh, part of the life that I would love involves sitting at tables with people and helping them have the conversations that get them going forward. And if, if I am still uh, able to be doing that in three years, that's, that's the life that I would love. That sounds like a goal. Yeah. <laughs> 25,000 uh, people. Uh, that's <laughs> no, that's, that's great. I think that's important. It's just as important to ask who I want to be as, as opposed to where do I want to be or what do I want to be doing? Uh, and yeah, that'll get I, you there. And I'll actually, I'll, throw, I'll send it to you if you guys want to use this or, or give it out, but I wrote an article about transition. And when people are facing a transition, there are three language shifts that can help help them think about transition in a new way. And one of these shifts is um, shifting from the phrase, what do I want to do, to add three little letters, doing. What do I? What kinds of things do I want to be doing? And who are the people I want to be doing them with? The things, when we ask the question, what do I want to do? And this is where I see a lot of people get stuck. Well, if you had all the money in the world, if money was no object, what would you do? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know how to answer that question. But if I flip it and I say, well, what do you want to be doing? Well, I want to be talking with people. I want to be having conversations. I want to be enjoying looking across the table. What kinds of people do you want to be doing it with? I want to be doing it with people who are stuck somewhere or who are wondering if there's more out there or wondering what to, how to steward what God's put in their, in their, in their plate. And so when I made that switch for me personally, that helped me begin to free up. Then I can come back and go, well, what kinds of jobs, what kind of roles would allow me to be doing these things with these kinds of people? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a big part of my transition. Absolutely. Yeah. Reverse engineering it to say, yeah. that, you know, those are the things and the people I want to be doing this with. How do I get there now? So it kind yeah. of creates a, an end destination that isn't so static that you can work towards. Uh, and then you can work backwards and say, well, if I need to, if I want to be there in three years, the first thing I need to do is create those relationships. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, and then you can start stepping up from there and saying, okay, now I've done the relationships. Now I can start putting some content together. That's going to facilitate these conversations. So it's just, it's starting with where you want to go in three years and saying, what's one thing that could get me there today. What's one, one right place. That antelope. Yeah. Uh, now I have to go back and rewrite the whole article. Cause I want to call it reverse engineering. Your transition. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great phrase. Yeah. Just write it, write it again, rewrite yeah. it. And <laughs> That's Someone good. once said, and I think it was me, uh, reverse engineering. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Thomas, I appreciate you being on with us. So much wisdom in this conversation. 
so much insight. I'm really excited for people to be able to hear what you're doing and and hear how they can focus better and uh, get to the the place where they are doing what they want to be doing with the people they want to be doing it with. Yep. So Thomas, thanks for, thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for being with us. It was it was great. I really enjoyed having you. Thanks, guys.